This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, welcome to Emotional Badass, where Moxie meets Mindful. I'm Nikki Eisenhower, your host, life coach, and psychotherapist. And on today's episode, I'm discussing a story about my grandmother. felt torn about sharing this story about my Grammy. I've wanted to share it because the lessons she taught me changed my life. And I think of these lessons very often. I'm hesitant to share it because it's extremely precious to me. And I feel protective over her and it. I feel called to share it even though I'm concerned my message will get twisted or warped by the climate of reactivity that we've been in in modern life. I'm highly aware that what I do for a living and what I have immersed myself in since picking my psychology major in 2000 is not what the majority of people spend their time doing and immersing themselves in. I have been studying healthy independence versus codependence and worked within the nuances and struggles and the impossibilities with people in the messiness, the nitty-grittiness of real life. There's no perfect when it comes to these dynamics. And when I see arguments on the news, on social media, or I hear people tell stories, we're arguing a lot as a people. We have more ability to spew opinions and to spew upset online than ever before. I am struck over and over and over again that we are a country who in large part does not understand or value emotion, yet inflates fear and makes decisions from fear instead of valuing foresight and grounded rationality and measured response. I've studied fear and our fear responses. I've studied control and boundaries and have taught on these topics for over 14 years. I hope I honor Grammy's memory, and I hope this episode helps expand your thinking and your experience beyond your own and beyond fear or judgment of others' choices, because the story I have to share hits on all these biggie issues, fear, quality of life, right to choose, right to say no, right to say enough, I have a limit, that's not for me. I did an episode recently that was well-received on separating love and trust. In this episode, I'm sharing a story that asks you to consider separating love and control. 
separating control and fear and separating fear from love. A little background. In my mind, my Grammy, Alma Marie, was the original emotional badass. And I believe I am living my life in a way that heals and grows me and that I do that work for me, but I also do it for her. We've lived very different lives as women, but I still feel extremely connected to her. My Grammy was hard on me growing up. She wasn't easy. She was tough. Coming from her German descent to this day, the hardest worker I have ever known, and a no-bullshit attitude, excuses were not allowed. She had six children, four boys, two girls that were the bookends, 16 grandchildren. My mother was the youngest, born with a hip issue and was in a body cast and had multiple surgeries, and really was saved by the organization March of Dimes that sponsored some of her surgeries. So I wouldn't be here today without March of Dimes. And Grammy went through that with her, her last child. Still, somehow, Grammy managed to be fluent in German and French on top of her English. She had two master's degrees in history and library science. She owned a bookstore when I was very young. And so the very first female business owner of my life was Grammy. In my yoga world, we talk about masculine and feminine energies. And I think this was a really big gift in my life. Grammy, in in a lot of ways, kind of wore the pants and was very masculine in her energy and how she took care of her family. My grandpa was the HSP, the highly sensitive person and empath, the creative woodworker, the outdoorsman, the artist, the gardener, the gentleman who would cry when emotion took over. I don't believe I ever saw my grandmother cry or become emotional. She was a certain kind of rock, a badass for me, consistent and dependable when my mother was neglectful or angrily chaotic. Where Grammy wasn't soft, she was consistent. I trusted her to unconditionally love me. She pushed education above all else and reading. I had a hard time living with her, And I've learned in my own therapy that she supported the best in me, but also taught me codependency very directly. She taught me a whole lot of over-functioning for other people. Grammy was what we call in systems theory and addicted families the chief enabler. She kept the large family together and planned much of what brought us together as a family. She was the director and she directed everyone and everyone allowed her to direct. So it worked really well until it didn't. Her love was so unconditional for anyone she let in that till I was probably a teenager, I really had no idea which of my aunts and uncles were her actual children and which ones had married into the family. Grammy naturally didn't play favorites. And she was very fair in a way that I could trust, even when it was hard. Now, the way she was unfair or codependent was that I believe she thought it was best to guide me to be codependent because that's the way that she thought it was best to run her family. But I've always trusted that her intentions with me were completely pure, that what she wanted for me was to give me the best life that she could and to teach me how to take care of myself as a person and as a strong woman. I live with her from age 6 to 12 and consider her my functional mother and my grandfather my functional father. Both died before I finished high school. 
This is the story of how my grandmother's life ended and what she taught me with her powerful choices. I had heard Grammy say bullshit one time when I was about 10, and I thought it meant the sky was falling. She never, ever said a bad word. When I was that age, she was going to Catholic church nearly every day. Now I know she started going almost daily to try to keep herself from metaphorically strangling my mom. Because my grandmother was witnessing my mom neglect and abuse us. And my mom disrespected every reasonable guideline my grandmother tried to set to maintain some kind of order in her house. And my grandmother was having a very hard time watching the men come in and out around us. When I was 14, she turned 70, and her six kids threw her a big party. This was a big deal because my grandmother didn't do a bunch of pomp and circumstance. She celebrated everyone else, and really she didn't step into the spotlight of getting celebrated. And if you lean codependent and have been learning about that, that may be true for you too. So it was a really big deal for her to have this party. But the months before her birthday, Grammy started dropping more curse words. It was funny at first. The adults were joking. But I have this memory of her saying, son of a bitch, under her breath, and no one else heard it. And I can see in my mind's eye, 14-year-old me having an intuitive moment. And I only understand that now. My head pulled back in that movement that was first described to me in Judith Orloff's book, Second Sight. It is the movement of intuition. Just like we all know that dogs have that confused curiosity movement where they turn their head sideways that we think is really cute. There's this this movement that we do with our heads similar to that, but it's not about curiosity. It's about intuition. And we pull back with our heads instead of cock it to the side. So I can see in my mind's eye that my grandmother cursed in this way that was unfamiliar and not who I knew her to be. When my head pulled back intuitively, I remember thinking the words, that's not Grammy, right when she said it. A few days or weeks after her 70th bash, she was diagnosed with a rapidly growing brain cancer. Looking back, I deeply, and I mean deeply, because of all the work that I've done, I understand with great compassion that my entire large Catholic family is and has always been deeply terrified of depth, intimacy, facing fear, and of not knowing and of being wrong. Until this point, I had experienced Grammy's children other than my mom, my aunts and uncles as really strong extensions of her. But when she was diagnosed, I saw her children And some of their spouses crumble. And this is codependency over an entire lifetime, folks, in a family. Because she had been their strength. She had been the doer. She was the one who pulled everyone together. She was the one that would show up at your house and cook and clean when someone has a new baby or gets the flu. She'd show up with hundreds of dollars in groceries without asking just to stock up somebody's fridge when times were tight. She was generous with time and her resources, and she was never wasteful. And she put all of that into her children and grandchildren and community. And I saw those things as wonderful, as selfless, as giving. And they do, they look like that, and they feel like that. 
But what became apparent to me at 14 was that the adults around me were breaking down. They weren't just sad or angry or going through what I now know to be a pure sort of grief process of losing their mom, potentially. But they really barely knew how to function without Grammy at the helm telling them what to do. And there are many lessons I could go into in this story. There are many for me and more that I might share in the future. Have you ever wished that you had a direct line to your pediatrician to ask them all the questions that constantly crop up while parenting? Well, we hear you and we have been there too. That's why we launched the Bites of Health podcast. Every morning, we'll answer a commonly asked pediatric question in five minutes or less. You can tune in while you're making your second cup of coffee or from the school drop-off line. Who are we? I'm Dr. Jess Steyer, a public health scientist and also co-host of the Unbiased Science podcast. Every day, I'll chat with one or both of your new pediatrician besties, Dr. Dina DiMaggio, a general pediatrician, and Dr. Anthony Porto, a pediatric gastroenterologist. We'll talk about all the things related to our kids' health, from dealing with a colicky infant to navigating puberty in the teenage years. So be sure to tune in to Bites of Health, now live on all podcast platforms. But once the doctors gave her her prognosis as less than a year, Grammy asserted that she was old at 70, and that 70 years is a full life, though she'd like to be on the planet for longer. She didn't want to do treatment on her brain. And she tried explaining to her children that she did not want to become a vegetable, that she wanted to let nature run its course and die comfortably at home. She wanted to be taken at her time, and she didn't want to fight against that at her age. At first, I thought this was crazy, and I was overcome with emotion. I had grown up in a very medicine doctor-centric way, worshiping doctors and, and doing whatever the doctor says without question kind of household. And I had been a very sickly child, probably from constant life stress, kicking my immunity. So listening to doctors and just blindly doing what they said was normal for me. Taking shots and medicine that wasn't fun was just life. I was puzzled by this idea that you could reject a treatment. That was new for me. And I witnessed her children, all of them to my knowledge, gang up and peer pressure her to do what they wanted. They wanted her to do treatment in a way that I was uncomfortable with watching but I didn't know how to articulate or understand. She wound up caving to some of their pressure and did things that she originally didn't want to do. She allowed for a biopsy where they shaved part of her head. Not a big deal to Grammy because part of her stoicism was that there was no room for vanity. If she knew that I sometimes get facials, she would very much think that that's a selfish frivolous, vain use of resources, just because that was her lens. Part personality, but part depression-era trauma holdover. So she allowed the doctors to cut a hole in her skull, and they pulled out a piece of the tumor to biopsy. When the biopsy came back, the biopsy said, basically, it's the worst-case scenario, and she wanted to be done. 
and her children, to my perspective, used emotional blackmail techniques out of love, but to guilt and to shame. And they kept up this campaign of get treatment, get treatment, get treatment, get treatment. And she didn't want to do treatment on her brain because the odds they were giving her told her that the cure would be worse than the treatment. What makes me saddest about this was that I believe deflecting their shame and pain and fear became the end of her life instead of her children and grandchildren banding together to give her the most beautiful end of life that we could have given. I further believe that that's why she went down so fast. I'm not blaming my family for killing her faster. That is not what I'm saying. I want to be very careful here. I'm merely naming that we have choices in regards to fighting and letting go in this life. And we are not given in our basic educations the thinking tools and the awareness to consider where and when care and love become pressure and shame and control. That we don't encourage deep exploration into these concepts is what's tragic so that we can be more informed about what might come up for us in the face of a situation where we don't get to do a do-over and fear can make us miss very important things we only see later. In my bargaining stage of grief, I've spent plenty of time begging the gods for just one more moment with her. It's been hard for me to consider what she didn't hear and feel and see on those days and hours leading to her death. If I had that moment, I'd tell her, I see you. I understand your decision to preserve quality of life over quantity. I understand you want to stay here with us, with me. But you know it's your time, and you can't prolong your time on earth with us, and you are in acceptance of that. You have a strong connection to your maker, to your spirituality and your faith, and it's holding you, and you did such a good job holding the faith for this whole family that I know you see now that your kids don't know how to hold a faith or a real connection to a higher power right now when they need it most. They just don't have those muscles. But after you go, they will have the opportunity to gain these muscles if they choose. And I'll pray with you that they do so. I understand this decision and I will miss you all the days of my life. You are the strongest person I've ever known. And I promise to take you with me into my future. I promise to figure out a good, balanced, full life. And I will end the cycles of abuse and neglect and lack and trauma that have gone so unresolved. You did an amazing job as a human, as a woman, as a leader, as a mother, as a grandmother. Thank you for teaching me that I can always be stronger than I want to be. Thank you for teaching me that I can deal with the reality of what is. That I can look in life and evaluate my quality of life choices even when all the choices seem awful. I know because of you that there are often no easy answers and no easy way to avoid pain, no matter where we turn sometimes in life. Thank you for showing me that part of life is death and we have the power of our choices to the best of our ability. 
And sometimes, despite all human understanding, some of us are called home at the right spiritual time. And that can feel so, so wrong to our human parts. Thank you for showing me that it is also a choice to respect someone else's choice, even when we don't agree. I love you, and that's important, but I want you to know I respect you, and I will honor you by living a whole and happy, healing, vulnerable, brave life in the face of all of life's unknowns. I love you. From diagnosis to death took seven months. In my heart, it took years in the way traumatic loss plays with time. I witnessed her lose function rapidly. She had a stroke. She lost the ability to move one side of her body. She lost her sense of speech. This brilliant woman and brilliant mind who loved history and words. I was angry at God for a very long time about that. And it would have been easy for me to stay bitter and angry about that. But I've chosen, and this is a choice, to dig deeply into my spirituality that is uniquely my own. I love helping people find their own spirituality, and I work as a spiritual advisor in this capacity. But this is mine. I've worked hard to let go of this anger, this hurt, this bitterness, the unfairness of how I saw her die. To find a deeper possible truth that releases me. I choose to process her brain tumor as a manifestation of a lifetime of overthinking for others and carrying the burden of others' emotionality. And that in her final months of life, if and only if I allow myself to look past the human suffering that I saw, then spiritually I choose to believe and feel the truth that the universe or God looked down on her and said, let her end her human life no longer needing to overfunction and allow her in death what she didn't allow in life to be helped, to be assisted, to be literally lifted up by others and to finally take a break. And I choose to believe that wherever she is, her version of heaven, I hope, that that burden has finally, beautifully been lifted and she is feeling free, light, and full of love. This might be a weird way for me to wrap this up, but we're all dealing with this pandemic and we're all starting the process of lifting the stay-at-home orders and going back out into the world. The vibes out there can be weird. They can be aggressive. They can be dismissive. This is a hard thing for our human parts to be with individually and as a huge human tribe. I had childhood asthma. I have an irregular heartbeat. Chris has asthma. I am trying very hard to ground myself in empowered response to this. And to let go of the rest. I stubbornly refuse to be in a fear that keeps my body in a stress response. And when I am in a mask and I am in public and someone else isn't, I have a choice there too. I can choose in that moment to make 
those people other than me. I can choose to make them wrong, even the enemy or an idiot in my head if I choose. But I can choose to see another human being making a choice and I can choose to respect that choice even when I disagree. I respect people's rights to think and act differently than I do, even when the stakes are high. When I practice this kind of respecting, I have more energy to make the tough decision life requires of me that I need to make for myself and my own family. I trust that people don't let new ideas in when others are screaming or shaming, judging or honking or throwing hard facts at people or waving witty protest signs. That through respecting others, even when I disagree in word, that through respecting others, even when I'm in disagreement, that when I show that respect in word, in thought, in action, and in body language, that I am being the best advocate of what I think healthiness is, and this keeps me honest to my calling to be a healthy advocate. If I didn't know how to allow others to be themselves, then I would need to take myself back to weekly or biweekly therapy to look at my own control issues. Scary illnesses and big fat unknowns bring our issues to the surface to see. When we blame others and shame others and put our fears on others to control their behavior and we point the finger outward, we are missing the growth opportunities within COVID or cancer. It is my spiritual practice to ground myself over and over again in what can I learn here? Being human is inherently messy and complicated. I practice as part of my spirituality that I let go of judgment moment to moment. And I tend to my side of the street and make sure my side of the street is clear and well-maintained. Because that person over there that I see, yes, the ones that are easiest to get under my skin, he or she is actually a guru welcome or not, and offers me deeper understanding of myself and the way the world works and how I want to relate to it. I hope that there is something in this episode, and I'm tired. This one felt tender and exposed. I've spent about six collective hours (laughs) just working on trying to get this out before we even sat down to record. Patreon people, seriously, y'all are amazing. In the last two weeks, even with this crisis going on, we have had more people come to our Patreon and we have a new breakthrough number of 127 as I record this that really supported me in trying to get out this really tender episode that I've been wanting to do for a while. We are working on an episode to share how we have been honoring our pay it forward. I'm behind in that. We're going to catch up. I've been holding back that 10% since summer of last year so that we could really give some bigger donations. We give 10% of our Patreon forward. We pay it forward. Most recently, we sent Rivers and Roads Coffee here in Denver with a huge order. They gave us this order at cost so that we could send even more And so we were able to send nine packed boxes of the most delicious 
house-made pastries and treats and sandwiches and coffee to St. Anthony's ICU on the seventh floor here in Denver. I want to thank St. Anthony's and all the hospitals for what they've been doing, all the workers who have been facing their fears. And if you're here in Denver, please go support Rivers and Roads Coffee Shop. Check out the little glass shop that's right next door. I believe they're called Flux Studio. We love them here on Emotional Badass. Thank you all for listening to me. Thank you for holding space for what's vulnerable in me as I do my work to help make sense of what's vulnerable in you. We'll do some more Patreon shout outs on the next show because I went over on this one, made it a little longer than what we want. Thank you for hanging in there if you're still listening. Remember, my Grammy is the original emotional badass and I am an emotional badass and you are an emotional badass. And together we are where Moxie meets mindful. Light and love. Bye-bye. find it hard to sleep at night then the sleep cove podcast can help you hi i'm christopher fitton the voice and clinical hypnotherapist behind sleep cove sleep cove features sleep hypnosis meditations and bedtime stories all designed to help those of you who struggle at night to achieve a restful and peaceful night's sleep search for sleep cove on apple podcasts or spotify and see why Sleep Cove helps millions of people sleep deeply all 